We have two scripture readings this morning. The first from the book of Psalms, it's Psalm 30. And then the last reading, New Testament reading from Revelation chapter 5. So uh, I invite you to listen carefully and listen well. Psalm 30. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called to the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. And from Revelation 5, beginning in verse 11, where we are given a glimpse into um, God's throne room. We're taken up on to the top of God's holy mountain. And we see the worship that is going on there um, that gathers in the worship of all creation. And John says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you who sit enthroned in the heavens, we thank you uh, that you have given us a glimpse into that worship which is eternal and to which you invite us to join as we gather as your people this day. We pray, Lord, that as we approach your throne, as we offer up uh, songs and hymns of praise and honor and wealth and glory and blessing as we approach this table that belongs to you. Uh, we pray that you would illumine us first by your word, that coming we would not come apart from you, but that we would come in you and through you and with you. Uh, bless us, we pray, as we open our minds and our hearts and our very lives uh, to this new resurrected and Easter life that you desire to give. May it be so, Lord Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, when I was about 21 or 22, I worked at a furniture outlet in Granite Falls, right on 
Highway 321 going towards Hickory. And I, um, I'd worked there all through college in the summers. I'd worked in the warehouse in the back. So they backed these 18-wheelers in, and it was my job to unload them. They had big boxes, and they were being shipped at this point from places overseas. And sometimes black widow spiders would be back there in the darkness of the, you know, the trailer. So it was, um, it was scary work, but it was good. Eventually, I, I did okay with that, and so they let me load customers' vehicles. So no longer boxes, but wrapping up furniture and loading it onto truck uh, beds and so on. And after that, <clears throat> um, they let me then talk to people a little bit. And so by the time I, <laughs> so the time I graduated college, um, I worked for a year and a half there at, at the Broyhill Furniture Outlet between college and then going to seminary and uh, sold furniture. So uh, it's kind of maybe, well, I think it's fun. Maybe it's a little strange, but often when I go over to someone's house, I'm like, oh yeah, it's an attic heirlooms piece, isn't it? <laughs> well, how did you know? Well, let me tell you. Um, yeah, so one day at work, one day at work, uh, one of my supervisors kind of got my attention and said, Michael, uh, come back here to my office, <clears throat> which wasn't typical. And he looked a bit serious. Um, and troubled, and I thought, oh no, what have I done now? Anybody ever gotten called to the office? <laughs> so, so here I go, <clears throat> gingerly walk, I, I, I sit down, walks around the desk, sits down across from me, takes a deep breath, sort of a sigh, really, and I was like, oh dear. And he said, Michael, um, I've been having a hard time at home. And he started talking to me about his kids and his marriage. He was troubled. Um, so really not, you know, I, I guess I tried to listen. And I mean, I'm just a kid, right? Um, don't really know what to say. Foolishly, I think I'm supposed to have an answer. You know, that, oh, well, here, do this, and then everything will be fine. Um, but somehow or another, I don't remember the full context of it, but uh, today's psalm was the psalm that I had remembered some line from. And um, it says, though, though weeping lasts for the night, the, the morning, the, the, the grief lasts for a night, uh, joy, joy comes with the morning. <coughs> I was like, I ah, don't worry about it, it'll get better. But sort of, you know, I don't think it was great pastoral counsel if that's what it was. Um, I even told him it was Psalm 40 instead of Psalm 30, you know. But I was getting everything wrong, but I think I got a little something right. Uh, I do think that was a good psalm to take, to pray, to remember. And so maybe in the end, we'll circle back around and figure out how these psalms become ours. But before they were ours, they belonged to others. And they first, this psalm in particular, Psalm 30, first belonged to David. If you look at the heading, it says a psalm of David. At the dedication of David's house. This says temple, but the dedication of David's house. Um, I think if you read the opening lines, the first two lines, you'll realize, oh, this makes total sense for David to have prayed this or have written this. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes, my enemies, rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Anybody who knows the story of David 
wouldn't know why he might be able to pray this song or write it or offer it up on a day as significant as the day when the house of David, when he ascended to the throne, when he ascended to, to, uh, to being king over all Israel, why he prayed this one in particular. Because if you remember at the beginning of David's story, he was just a, a shepherd kid. He's a little boy. He was the youngest of all his brothers. And Samuel, the old prophet, comes into town with this long beard. And God sent him there to this family, to the family, to the house of Jesse, to anoint one of the brothers. And they go through all the brothers, and then none of them are the one. And then he says, do you have... Samuel, the prophet, said to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And he said, well, one more. He's out keeping the sheep. He says, well, bring him. Lo and behold, it's David, the youngest of all his brothers, ruddy-faced, it was him. And right there, Samuel anoints David king of Israel. The only problem was Saul was king over Israel and sat enthroned in the king's house. Saul, who stood head and shoulders above his countrymen, and then David, little shepherd kid over here. Well, as it comes about, David goes to Saul's house. And David is gifted in playing the lyre, playing the harp. And so he plays the harp for Saul because sometimes Saul would get in these moods, you know? And he would play the harp and Saul would be calmed. And he stayed pretty calm until eventually David hears the taunts of Goliath, right? Um, Goliath the giant Philistine who stood against uh, the, the forces of Israel. And David goes out there and wonders, why is, I mean, we have God on our side. Why does nobody face him? And he takes five smooth stones from the river. And he goes out, tosses one of them. It's Goliath in the head, and that's that. The people began to sing praises of David. Wow, look at David. He, he's victorious. He slayed thousands of thousands and so on. Saul gets jealous of the kid. The big king gets jealous of the little kid and tries to pin him to the wall with a spear, which means he tried to kill him. David flees from the throne room, flees from the house of Saul, flees out into the wilderness where he is not left alone. No, he is pursued by Saul who sends forces out trying to kill David. For years, he lives out in the desert wastelands trying to escape, which he, he does survive. In fact, there's this one moment, remember, when Saul is before David. Saul doesn't know David's behind him. David easily could have killed him right then. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to leave this in the hands of God. And eventually Saul did die and David did ascend to the throne and he came and prayed this psalm when he came into the kingship of Israel. And he said this, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. And you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. It was like I was dead, he said. And you restored me to life from those who go down into the pit. This psalm first belonged to David. You know why he prayed it. It's pretty easy to see now. The one who had been on the run was now king of the entire nation. But eventually, this psalm would come to be prayed not just by David, but it will come to be prayed by all Israel. See, in about the centuries later, about the year 185 BC, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, I mean, 
What a name, right? You could have seen maybe one of them would have said, Junior's probably sufficient on this one. But no, they go to the fourth. Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth comes to power in Syria, and the Assyrians come and they conquer Israel. It was, it was pretty brutal. In fact, they come into Jerusalem, into the city of David, into the house of David, and they desecrate the temple. They enter not just into the courtyard where Gentiles were not supposed to be able to go into, right? Gentiles couldn't come even into the courtyard. They got not, in, not only into the courtyard, but into the holy spaces, into the holy of holies, and do things unnameable to the people. They desecrate the temple. And then, after this, the people conquered, the temple desecrated, they began to take to their lips this psalm, which is remembered and celebrated at this feast now called Hanukkah. You ever heard of that? This psalm. Because they remember not just Antiochus Epiphanes conquering, but they also remember Judas Maccabeus, uh, one of their fellow Israelites, who raises up a rebellious force, drives them back out, retakes David's house, retakes the temple, rededicates it, and all the people took to their lips the prayer of David. I will extol you, extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you've brought up our souls from Sheol. You've restored us to life from those who go down into the pit. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in our own deaths? And this... Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, but His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. What went from the psalm of a king, former shepherd boy, now raised to the highest of heights, becomes the psalm prayed by a people who were murdered and killed and exiled, and then came back home to the temple. Back home to their God. But you know what? How does this psalm get to be a psalm for you? For supervisors and furniture outlets in the middle of Granite Falls, North Carolina? How does, how does that happen? It's quite a jump, right? <clears throat> well, David and the, the experience of the temple rededication... These are types. That's like a technical word, actually. These are types of Jesus. Jesus being the antitype, the, the original, right? These types, this, this is how the Old Testament points us forward to Jesus. I've talked about this a few times. Um, I think most of us get our Sunday school version of the Old Testament when we're kids growing up, and we don't go much further past that, but there's a lot more past that. Um, David and the temple aren't the only types. We, we could talk about this a long time. I'll give you two really quickly. Joseph, first of all. Joseph is the youngest of his brothers. That should sound familiar, thinking about even David, right? Joseph, the youngest of his brothers, um, says that one day all of you are going to bow down and worship me. He has these dreams, these visions, in which he sees these things taking place. They get angry at him. They condemn him to death and literally throw him into a pit. Do you know what the word pit is when it's translated? It's the word for Sheol. 
I've gone down into the pit. They threw him, cursed him away as if to die. But he from that lowest of points comes up, sold into slavery in Egypt, but rises through these ranks until he is the highest power other than Pharaoh in the entire country. Right? He could have said this, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. Drawn me up out of the pit, out of Sheol, to this place where he now receives um, power and authority. So we see this in Joseph, um, who when his brothers come to him, does what? Forgives them. Decades later, there's a famine in the land. The brothers come. Joseph's the one handing out food. He recognizes his brothers. Ask if his father's alive. Brings his father there and forgives them. Casts himself upon their shoulders. Weeps on their shoulders. So David, uh, excuse me, Joseph is a type of Jesus. Jesus, who, remember the events of the past couple months that we've been remembering, is condemned to die by his brothers and sisters, by fellow human beings, by humanity, is condemned to die, descends into Sheol, the pit, the place of the dead, but in God's power is raised up and now has a supreme place, not only in Israel, but in the universe and the whole cosmos. He is Lord of heaven and earth, as part of what the Revelation passage was pointing us to. And so we see the fullness of that reality in Jesus. What was hinted at in the life of Joseph. Or we could look to Isaac. We look a little further back. Promises made to Abraham that one day through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. That he will have a son. And of course when Sarah hears this, she laughs because she's almost 100. They don't have children yet. He says, how could, how could this be? This is ridiculous. I'm almost 100. She laughed at the news. And so when Isaac was born about a year later, she named him Laughter, which is a beautiful twist, isn't it? The cynical laughter is turned to laughter of joy, except Isaac, sometime later, is taken by his father to Mount Moriah. Do you know what rests upon Mount Moriah? Jerusalem, the city of David. See, all these things are tied together. So Abraham takes Isaac with a bunch of wood on his back where they can build an altar when they get to the top of Mount Moriah because God has commanded Abraham to go with Isaac and to offer up his only son, his beloved. It's restated over and over in that passage so you don't miss this fact that it's his only beloved son that is to be offered up to God in sacrifice. And we see this horrible scene in which Isaac's hands and feet are bound and he's laid upon the top of this altar and Abraham raises a knife up above him and at the last moment, God stays his hand and says, no, I don't require this of you. What you have done in faith, I don't demand. Instead, he had him turn and look and caught in the thicket was a ram with the thorns caught about his head. You've heard that passage. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Right? Isaac points us to Jesus, the only begotten Son who was taken and offered up on the wood of the altar cross, a sacrifice, but God's hand, He does not stay humanity's hands. 
and they kill him, he does descend into the pit. This one who is caught with the crown of thorns around his head, the sacrifice God provides that we might be reconciled to God, the only begotten, the beloved, the Father. These are types that point us to Jesus. David and the temple also point us to Jesus. David the king, the anointed one by Samuel the prophet. Anointed one is translated, means Messiah. Jesus the Messiah is David who comes and leads us in great hymns to God, who has emerged victorious. God did not allow His, His, um, His enemies to be victorious over Him, but raised Jesus up from, the, from Sheol. Weeping tarried for the night at Jesus' death, but joy came in the morning. Jesus prays, think about the garden of Gethsemane. To You, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise You? Will it tell of Your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord. Be my helper. You have turned for me, then we think Easter morning, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. What did Jesus leave in the tomb? The linen clothes? Sack, you know, wrapped Him for death? He's left those. Instead, He's clothed in gladness in order that His glory may sing God's praise and not be silent. Jesus is the one now who, like David, through the psalm, led the people in song. But now it is Jesus, raised up from Sheol to life, whose glory leads us in praise. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to You forever. David points us to Jesus, the truer, the deeper prayer of this psalm. But so too does Jesus fulfill the type of the temple. Notice He didn't fulfill Judas Maccabeus. He wasn't a type of Christ. He wasn't a, Jesus was not a military leader who came and through use of force and violence destroyed the oppressors and drove them out, killing them, taking back what belonged to God, reinstituting the temple. That's not what Jesus did. No, Jesus is Himself the temple. The true temple that was desecrated. Think about what happened to His body. His body where divinity and humanity come together in His person. The joining place of God and us. His body is what is desecrated and stabbed through and crammed with crowns of thorns and put to death. But so too is His body the one that is raised now to life that is eternal. He is the temple. The light that shines in the darkness and the, the darkness could not overcome it. The light that burns brightly now for us. That's sort of a glimpse of what we get when we look at Revelation. That passage where, you know, there's a, there's a line in this psalm that says, um, you have made my mountain stand strong. Well, Revelation is a picture of God's mountain the divine throne room. And we look there and we see around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, myriads of angels. And then we see all creation in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that dwells therein, everything that exists, pointing towards God, directed towards God in worship and praise and to the Lamb that was slain caught in the thicket with the crown of thorns. Here's Jesus. 
in the fullness of the kingdom with all creation now in worship and praise and adoration and love, join united in that worship. How can we come together as one? A lot of people asking that in the world, everywhere. By looking to God, right? By focusing there in worship. And so as we see Jesus um, leading us in worship, we see a glimpse of the kingdom. How does this prayer become ours? It becomes ours through Christ because the psalm always pointed us to Him. That's why David could pray it. That's why it was celebrated at the rededication of the temple. It's why now we can pray it when we face enemies, when we go through struggle, when we find ourselves, you ever felt like you were being drawn down into Sheol? A place where there's no life, only desert wilderness and barren. That's why we can pray this psalm is because we pray it in Jesus. The one who's entered into the fullness of it. The one who has turned our mourning into gladness. Because mourning might last for a night. But, but joy does come with the morning. My question to you this morning is kind of, uh, how could you pray this for yourself? How could you take upon your lips the prayer that is prayed from Jesus' lips? Pray that individually, but we could also pray it collectively. Is there anywhere in the world that looks like Sheol, that looks like death, that looks like destruction, that looks like enemies triumphing? Look on the news, there's wars and rumors of wars, right? Um, it's pretty hard to watch, pretty hard to see those images. Morning lasts for night, and it's real. Jesus knows how real it is. Even unto death He went. But joy comes in the morning because He's raised up. Is there anywhere that we look where we might be trying to protect ourselves, guard ourselves? A pandemic still is ongoing, right? Is there anywhere we might cry out to the Lord collectively as humanity? Don't let our enemies triumph over us. Take this prayer to our lips. Let's do it together. Um, when we do, we offer these prayers up to Jesus who still bears wounds, but they're just healed ones, right? Still bears wounds even in the heavens. This lamb who has the appearance of one who was slain. The morning has been turned to joy not by just totally ignoring it, but by entering and passing through it is how He delivers us. And so, um, I invite you this morning to come to this table. Because when we come to this table, we come to that throne room where all has become joy. Where all has become love. Come to this table because this is Christ's table. It belongs to Him. It's the one who prays from within us and the one in whom we pray. Come to this table and celebrate the victory that turns grief into gladness and suffering into life. You want to go? Let's go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.